Hello and welcome to the episodic audiobook series where once a week we tend to cover a new episode of one of the books I have written. And last we have been covering Fire, Pain, and Ruin. Now you may have noticed there was a bit of a um, blank period of no releases weekly. And just before that, there were double episodes in a week. That was to pump out the rest of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel, because it's quite a large book in comparison to, like, Seed Me, for example. And I needed some time to pump that out so you have something to listen to, and I could sit back and finalize the full audiobook, which is to come. It also gave me time to focus on the launch of my horror novel, Rave, that came out this May. Now, this is a bonus episode. The very last episode of the Season 2. Much like the previous season with Seed Me, this is a behind-the-scenes, making of, and all that fun stuff. Basically the kind of thing that would happen if uh, we were at a book launch, uh, telling about the book, how it came to be, and all that fun jazz. So, how about we jump into this and uh, learn a little bit about Fire, Pain, and Ruin and how it came to be. Fire, Pain, and Ruin was an interesting book because it happened to come out at a very unlucky time, which was the spring of 2020. And as we all know from around the world, uh, we were in disarray. Everything was on lockdown, the economy was having issues, there were no in-person gatherings, and there were plans to have this book ready for the whole convention season. So it really never got the light that it should have had. Um, It also kind of got a bit lost in the noise during that time period. The hardcore fans of the Rutherford Manor series definitely uh, clung on to it, and the book has been well-received through various award programs and it recently won a bronze award for the elit awards which uh, i'm very uh, excited to share and that was also the reason why this book was chosen to be the episodic audiobook with matrix Pressworks instead of um the white hand which is the prequel novel both novels are independent despite being part of a series And that's the neat thing about the Rutherford Manor series is the stories are independent, but they do follow the family and they do share an overarching narrative that continues on to a grand storyline that is actually pretty cool. Um, There's lots of cool stuff that I can't particularly talk about, but uh, Rutherford Manor is a very exciting paranormal historical universe that I was very glad to be a part of. Now, let's back up way, way, way back up to 2018, where I was first introduced to Rutherford Manor. It happened to be at the Calgary Horror Convention, where I was promoting Yegman, my uh, crime thriller novel, and I met um, the founder or the producer of Rutherford Manor, uh, Preston, and he's behind everything, masterminding the story. And um, from there, the conversation evolved into having me write the first uh, of the new Rutherford Manor series. And it was pretty exciting. 
that was the first kind of, or I guess the second contract I ever had with, with writing. Before that, uh, I had a short story through uh, Stray Books. And this new one was the first book book, like a full-on novel. So it was pretty jazzed to be um, brought on to work on it. So it became, The White Hand became my um, first published novel that was done through a small press and not me. And it was kind of neat to shift into more of a hybrid author career. And The White Hand was very well received. It uh, didn't dive too deep into the paranormal aspects as it was a very isolated, separate story. Now, fast forwarding, Fire, Pain, and Ruin does dive quite a bit into the paranormal aspects as I'm sure you have heard through the audiobook or if you read the full book. It also dives a lot more into the family dramas. And it's it's not the normal type of book I would write from that perspective. I never really thought I'd be able or have interest into writing a drama. And I think the paranormal aspect really pulled me into exploring that. Um, turns out I actually quite like it, um, getting into the feisty inner workings of a family and their affairs that go with it. Now, Fire, Pain, and Ruin happened to be an interesting process of writing because it came from two different angles. It happened to be the second book I had written using speech-to-text, which is I used the Dragon software for the first draft of Fire, Pain, and Ruin. So that was a complete change from how I'd written The White Hand and all the novels before it, like the Mental Damnation series or Seed Me, where I had typed it out. With Fire, Paint, and Ruin, speaking out the story definitely created a fun environment where you almost start to act out the characters, so you become very immersed in the story. And that's one thing I do like about the speech-to-text and actually doing these audiobooks is uh, being that much more involved in the world and the narration. So the Fire, Paint, and Ruin first draft came about that way. Now, I'm working a little backwards here. Before that, though, I did a lot of outlining with my books. I've kind of drifted away from that in recent times. But for Fire, Paint, and Ruin, it was pretty critical that the book was outlined. Because unlike the prequel novel, Fire, Pain, and Ruin was much, or is much closer to um, more to do with Rutherford Manor. And without giving it all away, there were certain um, plots and details that needed to be included in the book to properly tell the whole story arc that other writers have been working on in this universe. So there were elements of the story that had to be explained, that bridged between the White Hand, which is pretty isolated in, in its own little contained story, and Fire, Pain, and Ruin. That was a challenge. And as a whole, Rutherford Manor isn't just my story. It's a whole group of people's stories. And that was an initial challenge with the White Hand, was becoming familiar with other people's characters, such as Spaulding, Lisa, Louise, and Penny, Knox, Billy, There are all these characters that uh, pre-existed and I had to adapt them in the written word and best represent their characters. So I had to learn them in a different manner from how like I normally get to know characters that I write where you discover them on the way 
With this, it was more about reading past materials and understanding the type of characters they were. Due to the characters pre-existing and the book requiring key points in the story, there was a lot of collaboration with um, the other writers in Rutherford Manor to make sure everything stays canon and everything lines up nicely so there were no plot holes. So I didn't have to come up with everything. With The White Hand, I happened to come up with a nicely contained little story. And with this one, it was more about stringing together various subplots in the main plot, uh, which is the whole Louise's corruption and the midwives' corruption too, actually. So it was pretty fun piecing all that together. And that's why outlining was so critical with this book, which gave me a very clear roadmap when I jumped into the speech-to-text first draft. And I was able to speak out the story, get that rough first draft done, which I could later come in and tweak and revise and edit before we went into beta readers to make sure consistency was applied and it was congruent with the Rutherford Manor universe. And it was fun to make this story because it's also a standalone sequel. And I had done something similar with Dream in the Mental Damnation series in the past. Writing a sequel that is standalone from the first book means you have to basically reintroduce the characters, but not to drill it into the reader's mind, because there are also the readers and fans from the first book that are going to read the second book, so you don't want to bore them. And it becomes a delicate balance of how do you introduce the world, the characters, and explain certain background uh, events and some of the stuff that even happened in the previous book without boring the reader who is familiar with the previous book, and also not to just make it a giant history lesson for the new readers. So it's a delicate balance with that, and with Fire, Pain, and Ruin, I think it worked along pretty well. And it happens to be uh, one of the more complicated books I'd written due to the various characters and their plots that are involved with it. Now, because Fire, Pain, and Ruin had so many subplots, uh, it's easy for me to pick some of my favorites to work on. Probably my favorite storyline happened to be the smallest in the story, which was Knox's and the government man. That whole concept of creepy experimentations and basically riding the line of uh, conspiracy theories is a ton of fun. And I'm a sucker for that stuff when, when I was younger. And a lot of that tends to bleed into my writing. Like I wrote about reptilian people. And in this case, I got to write about the government experimenting on people and they don't care how the means are met to how they get their their information and their discoveries and it's all very hush hush and very secret. So that whole subplot was pretty fun to write about and I quite enjoyed including Knox because he did play a much smaller part in this book than he did in The White Hand. So he he operated independently and his his story is almost an entirely separate arc from the main storyline which is primarily about Louise and Spaulding. Spaulding's storyline was a lot of fun because it revisited some of his past in a new light, uh, which is including Irene, because Irene played a big role in 
the white hand and she was a little more spry and cunning and definitely was was more of a villain where this one she's still a villain but you can almost sympathize with her a little bit more because she realizes she wasn't she wasn't young or isn't young anymore and made a mistake when she didn't accept Spalding earlier on and she wants to correct her mistakes but sometimes people move on and uh it's too late so very human type interactions that i'm sure people are quite familiar with in their own lives or they know people like that so the relationship between Spalding and Irene became ever more complex and especially even the relationship between Spalding and Penny we saw they had issues with their marriage because Penny was getting her her episodes which um seemed to be kind of tied to the owl as we saw in Fire Pain and Ruin so that affected their marriage and yeah it's very human type interactions that there is no good or bad so their their whole plot line was quite interesting to explore where the tables had turned and Spalding rejects Irene so lots happened there and plenty of opportunity to explore further with those characters Louise's path to corruption was half familiar and half unfamiliar as it has a pretty nasty scene that kickstarts her down a path of evil now post that particular scene is where louise's character started to feel more familiar with some of the writings i've done in the past and if you've read my dark fantasy series the protagonist krista also goes down a path of corruption from innocence so louise's character had uh, a sense of familiarity while I was writing her, but she is a bit different than Krista in the sense that she, one, isn't reptilian, so that's a big one, and two, she's got a sister that she was quite close with, and the whole sibling aspect is something anyone who has a sibling that they were close with or are close with would know that you tell them everything while they're growing up, and Louise was starting to pull away from that, and there's a bit of jealousy with the boy that Lisa was starting to see so all of those things did have some familiarity to me in the end and it was a strange subplot to write because of some deja vu and some just completely alien that uh, had to figure out and do some research but that's the thing with all books you do have to do research and figure out what you're trying to tell in your story doesn't matter if it's fantasy crime paranormal historical anything you do have to do research. And with Fire, Pain, and Ruin, the biggest amount of research I did have to do was slang, lingo, so like the vocabulary, so I got those right, along with what existed back then at the turn of the century, what type of games existed. Turns out kids played a lot of hide-and-seek, tag, and did some other games they played, but yeah, they really didn't have a lot of, a lot of games. There was a lot of outside and exploring and learning from their their elders so they live very very different lives from what kids live today where they're mostly on the internet so understanding that aspect of lisa and louise was a challenge and after that uh, louise eventually gets into the midwives and the midwives plot was quite fascinating because it ties into billy's which is 
having the the child, and then there's the backfired ritual, and Munat comes involved, and all of it starts to tie together at the end of the book, where Louise believes she is the Lady of Death, and the whole midwives and their magical aspect is is just fun to write about. Who doesn't enjoy some demons and magic, especially when it's uh, near the end of the story and everything's tying together. So that was a challenge with this book is taking all those subplots and much required um, explanations for the overarching Rutherford Manor storyline and piecing them all together that would not only work as a standalone book, but they were explained at the beginning and then eventually tied up nicely in the end while leaving it open for a sequel. And Fire, Pain, and Ruin works as its own independent book with a grand conclusion. And I'm very glad to have worked on this book and share it with you in the audio format. The Rutherford Manor universe and storyline is much, much larger than just Fire, Pain, and Ruin and The White Hand. So you should definitely check out their website, their Facebook page, keep up with what they're doing, because there is definitely more coming in their world. And I'm glad to have been a part of it and write two books that have become pretty critical key cornerstones of the plot and the world that they've built. So that's been a fun project and been thrilled to be able to work on someone else's universe and do it justice because that's probably would be one of the worst things that could happen as a writer is uh, work on someone else's story and then just completely bomb bomb the story and it's it's horrific not that we're going to name anything like star wars <laughs> but in all seriousness uh, do check them out they are continuing to do new cool stuff Keep watch for this full audiobook, or if it's out already, depending on when you listen to this. And that pretty much wraps up the end of season two for the episodic audiobooks. We will have a third season coming. I wonder where that could go. Now, until then, I have more writing to do. Share this with your friends. Check out the Seed Me audiobook if you haven't, or there's also the Into the Macrocosm which is an audiobook that went straight to the market. You can find it on all of the platforms like Audible and uh, Kobo and Google Play and all those places, which you'll also be able to find Fire, Pain, and Ruin at. So until season three, take care, and I'll see you next time. Ciao.